So this word to, uh, to replenish, you know, I see how it lines up with what I'm going to talk to you about today. Anybody else contending with any allergies right now? Like, man, they said the pollen uh, numbers are off the charts. <clears throat> so all week I've been having a little adventure with that. But I'm going to make it through today in Jesus' mighty name. The Lord's going to replenish my voice. Uh, but I really believe that the Lord wants to, to help us understand, identify a little bit of what this is to replenish. And I'm going to take you through pretty elaborate context. I want to ask you to really concentrate with me through some of this because the final conclusion will make all of it uh, kind of tie in. But, but the title today as we conclude in this series and season that we've been in, just pressing in, asking God for wisdom about the outrageous grace of God. Um, the title is Eternal Purpose and Temporal Pain. And you and I are called to embrace eternal purpose even in times of temporal pain. So here's what I have realized after years of working with people in ministry and having lots of conversations with lots of individuals over everything uh, that you know, I could ever imagine that I would be talking to people about as a pastor, those interactions, counseling, conversations. We really don't counsel here. We disciple. Uh, if people need counseling, then we help them get into proper professional counseling. <clears throat> but there are a lot of those interactions, and what I have found, some people have suffered so much setback in their life, so much temporal pain, some people have suffered so much setback, they find it easier just to lessen their expectation and embrace dysfunction rather than to risk the pain of disappointment again. You understand what I'm saying? They come to this place of just saying, I'm going to lessen any expectation and um, <clears throat> just not risk pain of being disappointed again because I've had so many setbacks. But I want to, just, I want to encourage you because I believe the Lord wants to replenish this sense of expectation today. Um, the place of expectation in your heart, in your mind, in your life is the place where your hopes and dreams are actually at their best. You understand your dream actually has the power not only to transform your life when I say your dream, I mean God's dream for you, God's purpose for you. It has not only the power to transform your life, but has the power to transform your world. This is the way God works within humanity. He awakens things within us that then has the ability to transform the world around us because it's so big within us, we just cannot uh, stay still. We just cannot ignore it. We can't neglect it. We go to bed with it. We wake up with it. And some people have lessened their fire. Over the course of time, they've come into a place of what we might define as spiritual depression, and I believe the Lord wants to break us out of that today and help us understand and, and, and recognize this. Where there is purpose, there will be pain. Where there's purpose, there will be pain. If I'm going to purpose to get fit and start exercising and go to the gym, I know there's going to be some pain involved, right? Always there's going to be pain. How many of you uh, found a, a relationship, a marriage relationship, and man, the purpose of that connection, you were so excited about it, but that purpose came with it pain because many times God's not using marriage as much as a tool that he wants to use to make you happy as, as he is using that as a tool to make you holy. 
And so what we've done in our society, if we've misappropriated all these resources, it's wonderful to have a happy marriage. And I want you to know God wants the joy to be in the middle of your relationship. Tracy and I uh, can testify to the fact that after 30 years, uh, we have found an incredible sense of joy in our relationship. Took a lot of work in those early years, working through some very difficult things. Anybody relate to that? But man, I'm so glad we stuck it out. I'm so glad we saw it through. I'm so glad we walked through those places of pain some times of not understanding each other and and even getting with a marriage counselor to help us see things more properly, more correctly, so that we could uh, get past those times and understand the deeper meaning that God had in mind. There's purpose and there's pain. And we all need to understand this statement. The pathway to purpose is always filled with pain. If you focus on the purpose, you will push through the pain. But if you focus on the pain, you will abandon the deeper purpose, the eternal purpose, because of the temporal pain. So I want to talk about eternal purpose and temporal pain. I want to get those categorized correctly. Paul writes this incredible <clears throat> declaration that lay, lays this out for us in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 16 to 18. He says, therefore, we do not lose heart. <laughs> we could just stop right there. We do not lose heart. How many of you in here have ever lost heart before? Just raise your hand. Let me see. Lost heart before? We do not lose heart. So if you have lost heart, then you have misaligned yourself with the we that Paul is talking about. We are the people who understand the deeper purposes that come from God, the eternal purposes of God. And when we embrace the eternal purposes of God, we do not lose heart because we understand there's something deeper, bigger, wider, longer that we're living for. We do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles of this world. This is temporal pain. Our light and momentary troubles. Let me just say, Paul, let's get the context of what he's talking about. This is a guy who'd been shipwrecked. This is a guy who'd been abandoned. This is a guy who'd been beaten with rods three times, which is where your feet are literally broken by a hard, uh, heavy rod they beat you with. God had to heal his feet. It's the theological conclusion of this situation. This is a guy who'd been whipped and lacerated in his back. This is a guy who'd gone through so much pain. How many of you know the devil must be absolutely frustrated when he hits you with, your, with his very best shots and you say, that's all light affliction because I have embraced the eternal purpose of God. That's what he's talking about here. Inwardly, we're being renewed day by day for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen but on what is unseen since what is seen is temporary and what is unseen is eternal. There are eternal things that we must set our attention on if we are going to endure the pain that this temporal life can bring. There are things you will not understand, you cannot comprehend, but do not abandon what you know about God because of what you do not understand about your situation at hand. There's purpose and there's pain. So let me ask you a question. Do you believe God has a purpose for your life? This all be really loud with a, with a rousing yes. I'm going to ask the question again because we want to solidify this today. Do you believe God has an eternal purpose for your life? Yes. We believe that. 
We need to embrace that. We need to recognize, you know, Jesus reached into my life um, it, like he did into yours. At whatever age you were at, you know, whenever you came to know Jesus, he, he knocked on the door of our heart and we responded and let him in. And in my situation, it was like God just reached in and I suddenly came alive to the realization there is a God, God does have a plan, and I'm a part of that plan. I mean, it changed. It took me from a, a disposition of death to an attitude of understanding life and an entirely different uh, perspective than ever I could have known before that moment in time. And I want you to see Philippians 3.12, Paul says, I press on, again, the same type of language. There's, it's a battle, it's a fight, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. You do have a purpose. God did think about that purpose before you were ever born. You were, you were designed and formed in your mother's womb with the purpose of God in mind. Jesus knocked on the door of your heart and he took hold of your life. And he did that so that you might be awakened to the eternal purpose of God. Paul is saying, I press on. I fight my way through to be able to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. There will be, there will be temporal pain and there is eternal purpose. If you focus on the purpose, you will press through the pain. The events of your life may explain you, but the events of your life do not have to define you. And it is so important that we not allow the events of our lives to define us. They might explain the story of the journey that we're on, but they do not have to define us and confine us into a disposition that lacks the eternal value of the purpose of what's taking place, even in our difficult moments. Now, if you've been here in our church family for any length of time, then you've probably heard me talk about the progression of the 12 tribes of Israel and the, the significance of their names and and I need you to understand that today to go where I want to go. In my turn the page, I've, st I've just finished through Genesis and going into Exodus. And I, I discovered something about this recently when I was reading uh, that I want to, to kind of drive home with you today. But, but first, let me just say this. Before the graphic comes up and we start taking a look at the 12 tribes, let me just explain something. Jacob... Uh, you got the, the promise was given to Abraham. Abraham imparted the blessing to his son Isaac and Isaac to his son Jacob. And Jacob wrestled with the angel and, and, and his name was changed and Jacob's name was changed to Israel. And Israel had some sons. How many sons did Israel have? Twelve. And those twelve sons of Israel were blessed because of the blessing of Abraham and they prospered and those twelve sons became twelve tribes. And that's where we get the twelve tribes of Israel. And Jesus came through the tribe. Uh, who can tell me which tribe Jesus came through? Which of, of Israel's sons did Jesus come through? Judah, because he is the lion of the tribe of Judah. So we've had a pop quiz here today, and now we understand that Jacob, who became Israel, had 12 sons. These 12 sons are arguably the most dysfunctional family uh, in the history of humanity, and this is what I point out so many times when we look at this. It's just absolutely crazy, because Jacob, he loved, what's her name? Rachel. And so Jacob loved Rachel, and he worked for seven years to, to marry the woman that he loved. 
But the problem was Rachel had an older sister named Leah, and the Bible kind of gives indication that Leah might not have been as attractive as Rachel. And Jacob loved Rachel, the beautiful daughter, and, and then after seven years of working, Rachel's father, Laban, actually the deceiver, he tricked him, and he gave him the older daughter instead of the younger daughter. So he got the wife he never wanted in that moment in time. But it wasn't all bad because he not only got the wife he didn't want, but he could work another seven years for the wife he did want. Now, how do you think the wife he didn't want felt about the fact that he didn't want her? Okay, we, we, we see some crazy tension. I mean, I want you to think about marrying a man. And, and, and again, biblical times, we've got to translate this in, and, and you start thinking about you know, multiple people in a marriage, and it gets pretty crazy pretty fast. But I just want you to think about being in a relationship where you feel utterly unloved, never even wanted in the first place. How many times would you go to bed at night crying yourself to sleep? We need to understand the depth of Leah's pain in order to get this. And so Here's Jacob, he's got these two wives, and Leah starts popping out kids, man. Like, Rachel's not having any kids, and Leah has four kids right up front. And she decides she's going to name these kids names that indicate the expression of her pain. And, and Rachel, you know, it's Rachel then she says, wait, we're not going to, you know, I don't want to lose ground here, so I'm going to bring my maid into the bedroom, and I want you to have children with my maid on my behalf. That way we have children from my side of the marital uh, wife situation. And, and so she introduces her maid, and two kids are born. And then Leah's like, hold on, if you're going to bring your maid into the mix, then I'm going to bring my maid into the mix. And so they're like talking to Jacob, and they're saying, we want you to have sex with four women. And Jacob says, oh, okay, okay. I mean, this is like the progression of the 12 tribes of Israel. This is insane. And so now he's, he's, had, two, he's had four kids with Leah, then he's got two kids with uh, Rachel's uh, maid, and then he has two more kids with Leah's maid, and then he has more kids with Leah, and then finally Rachel gets pregnant. And, and that's Joseph, and then that's why he was the favorite son. You remember all this? And he got the, the coat, and he was like favored and hated. Why? Because he was the favorite mom's kid. And then she gets pregnant again, she gives birth to Benjamin, but he wasn't named Benjamin at first. Was, she said she was in distress, and she was about to die in labor. She goes, we're going to name this one Benoni, because that means son of my misery. And when people call his name, they'll know that I was miserable in the birth of my son in the moment that I died. And the father said, no, we're not going to let him be known as the son of misery. We're going to name him Benjamin, which means the son of my right hand. I'm going to take him in. Now, this is powerful because I'm going to point out these names, and, and you can see this on the tree. If you could pop that graphic up. I, I think I provided Yeah, there we go. So there's the firstborn, Reuben, Okay. Think about the dysfunction. Leah gets pregnant. She has Reuben, and she's so miserable. She says, we're going to name this one Reuben, which means God has seen my misery. She gets pregnant again. We're going to name this one Simeon, which means God has heard my cry. And then gets pregnant again, Levi. Finally, my husband will be attached to me. I'm going to name this one Levi, which means attached. Judah is the fourth born, and she says, you know what? I'm pregnant again. I'm going to praise the Lord my God. Finally, my husband is going to love me. This was the naming process of these two. So then the, the maid comes in on Rachel's side, and she says, aha, 
my mate's pregnant. The Lord has vindicated me. I'm going to name this one Dan. Whenever you call my son by the name of Dan, it will be a declaration of the Lord vindicated my life. And then the next one is Naphtali. And she says, I've struggled with my sister and I have won. This is all in scripture. You can read it. I've struggled with my sister and I've won. And this is Rachel's maid. And she's going to name this one Naphtali. And then, and then Leah's maid, Gad, gets pregnant and, 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 and Leah says, ah, good fortune. I'm going to name this one Gad. Asher, oh, I'm happy. I mean, this was going back and forth. Leah gets pregnant again. The Lord has rewarded me. Issachar. And then she gets pregnant again. Zebulun, we're going to call this one on because God has honored me above my sister. And then we see Rachel getting pregnant, and she says, I'm going to name this one Joseph. May he add to my life. I'm finally pregnant. And Benjamin, son of my right hand, which I explained. This is what I want you to understand. First and foremost, you are in the progression of the most dysfunctional family in the history of the world. You are in the, the progression. This is the way it works. Your salvation, you can, you can just kind of think about where you were when you came to know Jesus. This is exactly what I just read to you in the names. You were lost and you needed Jesus. How many of you were miserable outside of Christ? Can I just see? Miserable outside of Christ. And what happened? He saw your misery, Reuben. You cried out to God, Simeon, he heard your cry. Are you tracking me? He saw your misery, he heard your cry, and then Levi, you became attached to God through Jesus, and Judah, you began to praise the Lord your God. Dan, God began to vindicate you against your enemies. Naphtali, you were introduced to the idea of the struggle that's a part of the strength of salvation in your faith. Gad, uh, good fortune when you realize that you work through the struggle, do you actually gain strength? And then happiness, Asher, becomes the result as you're stronger in the Lord, and reward comes as you continue to walk that out in maturity, Issachar, and then honor will result, uh, Zebulun, and then God will add to your life uh, Joseph and Benjamin. Do you understand all this comes because we are seated in Christ. Jesus died on the cross, and his mother said, this is the most miserable moment of my life, and the Father in heaven says, no, I'm going to raise him from the dead, and he'll be seated where? Benjamin, at my right hand. You and I are seated in Christ at the right hand of the Father. This is a powerful progression. I'm actually going to preach into this at the men's event for those guys that go to that event. But what I want to do is show you something that I've never talked about out of this before. First, let's understand we have to be very careful. We are inclined to identify with our dysfunction. We are inclined. How many of you have some dysfunction? Can I just see you raise your hand? You have some dysfunction. Just you know somebody with some dysfunction. Yep. And so we, dysfunction exists. We are inclined to identify with our dysfunction, but we are designed by God to identify with our destiny. Dysfunction exists. Destiny exists. Temporal exists. Eternal exists. There is temporal pain and there are eternal purposes. And you and I are designed by God to embrace the eternal purposes of God as we walk forward in this thing called life that has all kinds of unknown variables that are coming our way. We are inclined to identify with dysfunction. We are designed to identify with destiny. So here's what I want to point out to you in this entire story. Who was the loved wife? What was her name? Rachel. Rachel. She was the beloved. I can't imagine the pain that Leah felt. 
through all of this, giving birth to children, naming them like this, coming to the dinner table. Can you imagine a family meal? Everybody's seated in their own subdivisions within the family. The anger that was boiling over from the conversation that was coming from Joseph. I mean, when you think about this, and, and Leah going to bed at night, just the deepest sense of pain. And I, as I was reading this recently, I started to just get a, a clearer picture of this maybe than ever before. But what surprised me when I began to read this, and, and we could have a lot of theological discussion about this, but in Genesis 49, when it's all said and done, and Jacob is about to die, this is what he says, Genesis 49, 29 to 31. Then he charged them and said, I am to be gathered to my people. Bury me with my fathers. There they buried Abraham and Sarah, his wife. There they buried Isaac and Rebekah, his wife. And there I buried Leah. When it's all said and done, he didn't ask to be buried with Rachel, when it's all said and done, he asked to be buried with Leah. In fact, I went back and found in Genesis 35, for whatever reason, Rachel was buried in an unmarked tomb. So I, I started really evaluating this and thinking, in the midst of all of her pain, in the midst of all of her dysfunction, somehow in the conclusion of it all, his request was, I want to be buried with her. And then I started thinking, the Messiah has come, and surely he would come through the, the, the wife that he loved, but then it's just right there in the cards, isn't it? Like we saw, the fourth-born child is Judah. Jesus, the Messiah, didn't even come through the most affectionate, maybe, maybe what we would say as the relationship that seemed to bud and blossom the most according to the world's standards and specifics. But that's not the relationship through which the Messiah came. The relationship through which the Messiah came was the relationship that seemingly had great pain. And in the midst of great pain, God is the master at bringing out eternal purpose when we're willing to endure the pain. I'm glad Leah didn't give up. I'm glad Leah didn't say, I'm out of here. I'm glad Leah didn't say, I'm sorry, I just can't take the pain anymore. Do you understand? There's so much more at stake in your life and in your future than you could possibly imagine. And when we get all focused in on our eternal frustration and disappointment, or sorry, our temporal frustration and disappointment, we lose sight of the eternal purpose of God. I wasn't sure I was going to have voice today, and I just can't stop screaming up here for some reason. I keep thinking, stop screaming. You can need your voice. It's the eternal purpose of God. God's replenishing. Some of us come to the brink of giving up on something because the eternal or the temporal frustration has been clamoring for our attention. And we've lost sight of the eternal purpose as we begin to focus in on the temporal pain. And the outrageous grace of God is the grace which takes our disposition, our countenance, and our perspective and begins to rise out of the ashes into the place of glory and beauty that God wants us to behold so that we can say, light affliction down here for the, the eternal purposes of God that I see are coming my way. I'm asked the worship team to come and what we're gonna do is just take our focus and our attention and we're gonna lift our attention 
to the presence of the Lord. But I want you to, to think about how Jesus demonstrated this in many ways. He was constantly doing this in Scripture. And when I noticed it one day, I was actually looking at the story of Lazarus. And here's Jesus at the tomb of Lazarus, and Jesus wept. This is where Jesus cried. I mean, why would he cry? If he was going to raise him from the dead, why would he cry? And it was because Jesus is not untouched by the temporal pain that exists in our lives. Nor should you be. But he was uncontrolled by the temporal pain that exists in our lives. Nor should, and so should you be the case. And he stood there, and in the recognition of what pain and suffering existed in humanity and the, the repercussions of death and what death would produce, I believe that was the moment Jesus wept. But then the Bible says this, and, and I read it one day, and I just thought, how curious this is. He's there in the midst of all this, observing everything going on. And the Bible says, and he lifted his eyes to the heavens and began to have a conversation with his father. Some of you, you've been looking like this so much and, and even weeping, which may endure for a season, but joy comes in the morning. Some, some of you have allowed the temporal circumstances and situations to shape and define and confine you. But I want to say there is temporal pain and there is eternal purpose. And Jesus lifted his eyes and in the midst of that which is seemingly devastating and even death central, he lifted his eyes and out of death came life. And then I saw it again when he's feeding the 5,000. And how disappointing, he said, you know, let's take inventory and see what kind of food we have. And they had such little food for so many people. And Jesus, looking at this, and the, the disciples even brought the boy and, and said, yeah, it ain't much, but it's all we got. I mean, the kid had to have been standing there like, well, I already felt that way. Now look, the disciples are even saying, you know, just, you, some of you have been told, you don't have very much to work with. I've been told that. In my life, I've been told that. And you know what Jesus did? He's looking at the temporal circumstances. And, and again, in Scripture, it's just so clear. Jesus lifts his eyes, and he begins to have a conversation with the Father. Would you just stand with me? I'm serving notice on temporal circumstances that have been clamoring for our attention today. And I'm declaring that we are lifting our eyes to have a conversation with the Father in such a way that the eternal purposes of God begin to outweigh the temporal pain that we have faced. Because the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. For he founded it on the seas and established it on the waters. Who may ascend to the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart. Are you thankful for Jesus right now? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart. He gave you clean hands and a pure heart when you gave your life to him. Aren't you thankful for Jesus right now? The one who, who can stand and ascend to the mountain of the Lord, bring their countenance up and have a conversation with God. The righteous. 
The one who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false god who's caught up in the temporal nature of everything going on. I'm just reading Psalms 24 that I read at the beginning. They will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from God their Savior. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, God of Jacob. Lift up your heads. Lift up your heads, O ye gates. Lift up your heads, O ye gates. Be lifted up, ye ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your head, ye gates. Lift them up. Lift them up. Lift up your countenance, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is he, this King of glory? The Lord Almighty, he is the King of glory. This is King Jesus, and we submit completely to King Jesus today. And I want to ask you, every day this week, your action point out of this today, every day, lift your countenance in prayer. Be intentional. Get up extra early. It's awesome that we came to church today. But let me encourage you in something. Even when we're coming to church, get up early to pray. Get in the Word. Even on the day, we're going to gather in the Word. Because going to church is not when we focus on the Word. Every day is when we focus on the Word. Every day, just, just get up. And I mean, Tuesday morning, 6 o'clock prayer. Coming in to pray at 6 a.m. I know that sounds crazy, those of you that come, but set your clock even just a little early, just to take some time to pray and read before we even gather together. This is about what God wants to do. I'm not trying to get us into this legalistic requirement. I'm just saying to you, if you're going to walk in the greatest strength God has for you to walk in, you're going to have to learn to perpetually, intentionally, consistently lift your countenance to the Lord your God so that the disposition of the Father, you can read His eyes as you're walking through the circumstances of the life around you. You know, there was a day I had actually come back from overseas and, 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 and Faith, had she was, she was maybe eight years old and suddenly she got sick after I had been overseas and there was a little bit of concern of, you know, what is this? And she got out of her bed the next morning after feeling bad and she walked into the living room and when she walked in, she said, Dad, look, and she pulled up her nightgown and from here all the way down was the most um, horrible looking almost pus-filled yellow hives all down her body. And she looked at my face and she saw alarm. And then I saw on her face as she was processing her circumstances and observed the face of her father, she went from concern to alarm. And immediately in response, I took a place and I said, I looked at her and I put my finger right in her face. I said, Faith Neeson, you are the head and not the tail. You are above and you are not beneath. <clears throat> With long life will I satisfy you and show you my salvation. That's what God's word has to say. And I took her by the hand, so we began to pray. And I said, Holy Spirit, I want you to give us a word right now, how to pray. And the Lord gave me a word that brought such confidence. It calmed that entire situation. I want you to know, no matter what you face, you can lift your voice, lift your, your countenance and see the eyes of the Father with utter confidence. It'll change your disposition. He will not be alarmed and freaking out. He'll be solid and in the truth lift up your head oh ye gates lift up your head oh ye gates Lord I'm, I'm, I'm prophesying some good 
reports of health this week in Jesus' mighty name. Good reports of health coming in Jesus' mighty name. I'm declaring some good reports of provision in Jesus' mighty name. Father, I'm declaring some good reports this week that the, the voice of the enemy will be silenced against us in the mighty name of Jesus. I'm declaring this week, we're lifting our countenance to the Lord our God. If God be for us, who can be against us? Take us in, Lord, we pray. Take us deeper, we pray. In the name of Jesus. Some of us just in the room, we need some strength and encouragement. For, uh, just someone to stand with us. Our prayer team, they're going to make their way out those doors just as we continue to worship just for a bit of time because this is part of our congregational assignment to together lift up our countenance to the Lord our God. Once we've digested a little bit of the Word and what God's desiring to reveal, then together as a family, we lift up our countenance. If we can stand with you and pray with you, then please come out into that lobby for a few moments and then come right back into this atmosphere. And I want to say, let's declare today in Jesus' mighty name, no matter what the circumstance may be, God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above, beyond all we can ask or imagine.